Thank you, Dean. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was a nice response. Good to see you all. Good to be here. I recognize so many people. I think I, there's more people I don't recognize than people. Hi, Keith. Good to see you. Uh, I think I recognize more people that I don't recognize. Okay, let's start again. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> when speakers come up, you know, they always have to fiddle with their notes, and they have to try to find something creative and clever to say, and then they stumble all over the words. But anyway, it's great to be here. My name is... Uh, Mark Kalaga, if you, if you don't know me, um, I think I've, I've spoken here a couple of times. I've met with just a lot of you. I know you from the past. Um, like I said, Sandy and I, we've said before, we used to play the piano and organ side by side 30 plus years ago when we were teenagers. Um, and at the Westminster Church, I know many of you from, again, the Tottens and others from former lives. Um, but it's just great to be here. My lovely wife, Debbie, is here with me. Uh, just love her so much. Happy Mother's Day, Debs. Uh, my wife and I have been happily married for two years, uh, 1996 and 2004. Um, just kidding. <laughs> okay, for those of you that don't know me, there's going to be some humor mixed in with the, uh, with the word. Uh, um, no, we've been married actually almost 42 years. Uh, three, over, three grown children, nine grandchildren. We were trying to win one of the prizes today, but y'all kept up in us. You know, it's like nine grandchildren, I got ten. It's like, fine, okay, whatever. So, uh, yeah, no, Debbie and I, we, like I said, we, we actually grew up together, um, but uh, we met at a travel agency. She was looking for a vacation, and I was the last resort. Um, <laughs> but uh, in honoring mothers today, uh, it was great to see uh, to Jason and Pamela. They were in my class. Pa- uh, Jason was always so respectful. Everybody else in the Sunday school class called me Mark, and Jason called me Pastor. And I just thought that was such a such great respect, and I don't deserve it, but thank you. And then Pamela today, and just like I said, I'm going to miss somebody. I, you know, I was talking to Helen and Lee, and of course, Lee couldn't hear anything I said, but it was all right. I love him anyway. He's a good man. So thank you. Just put your hand up every so often, Lee, to let me know you're still there. But we're talking about mothers. i got a couple of definitions that only mothers can understand. We, not, we may not think of these as definitions, but these are definitions. First of all, let's talk about um, full name. Okay, that's what you call your child when you're mad at him or her. Independent, how we want our children to be as long as they do everything we say. Grandparent, definition of grandparent, the people who think your children are wonderful, even though they're sure you're not raising them right. A show-off is someone else's child that's more talented than yours. Sterilize. What you do to your first baby's pacifier by boiling it and your last baby's pacifier by blowing on it. And then the two-minute warning, when the baby's face turns red and she begins to make those familiar grunting sounds. That's the two-minute warning. Anyway, so we're going to talk today. Uh, actually, Dean kind of introduced the, uh, the message um, with his prayers that we do live in a world that's hostile to Christianity. Uh, the culture has changed. Uh, as I, I, I saw a posting that says, biblical Christianity is not popular, but popular Christianity is not biblical. And the pulpit spends so much time, not this one, but pulpits across our country are spending so much time diluting and watering down the gospel to make people feel about themselves. They won't talk about sin. They won't talk about salvation. They won't talk about judgment. They won't talk about a place called hell. They just... Ignore it. And we need to understand, folks, that we are in a spiritual battle. 
That's what we are facing today. We see the physical evidence because uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 12 through 17 says, you know, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and dark forces. But all we see is the physical evidence, which is flesh and blood. And that's not who we're wrestling against. We are in a spiritual battle. Satan knows the time is short. I carry a coin with me that has the armor of God image on it, plus the Bible verse from Ephesians. Reminds me that we are in a spiritual battle every day. And this keeps me centered. So let's take a look at why do we come sometimes counterculture. This is, there are several series to this message, but I pulled out the one today about two choices. Let's go to the second, the second slide. Um, the introduction of the sermon is two choices. Now let's go to choice. Our society is blessed or maybe cursed with too many choices. Just think about a grocery store. Just think of the number of choices and options you have in a grocery store. There are over 1,000 individual brands. Next slide. 1,000 individual brands of cereal, including hot and cold versions. 86% of them are made by four of the parent companies. And that's Kellogg, Post, Quaker Oats, and General Mills. 1,000 different brands of cereal. And yet I get mad, or we get mad when we go in, and the one with the coupon, they don't carry. They got a 35 cent off. You know, post honey nut and Cheerios with strawberries, vanilla, and berries in it, and they don't carry it. I'm upset because I got my 35-cent coupon. Not to mention the same magnitude of choices for gum and uh, candy and beverages. There's just, there's just too many choices. Think about malls, well, at least B.C., which is the new B.C. is now before COVID. I don't know if you know, B.C. is now before COVID. At Flatiron Mall in Broomfield, there was over 200 stores in there, 18 health and beauty, 50 clothing stores, 12 shoe stores. Speaking of shoes, DSW has over 450 brands of shoes available. I was going to ask the question, who needs that many shoes? But unfortunately, there are some hands which would, would go up and then I would judge you. And so I don't want to judge you. Jason's doing this in the back. Cars. The top 15 car makers have over 300 different models. And that's not including all of the styles all of the options, all of the colors, all of the thing, 300 plus thousands of options to go with those cars. Remember Henry Ford said, and for those of you that know, he said any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants as long as it's black. That was his thing. You know, any color you want as long as the car is black. And now we have colors that I can't even, you know, cinnamon, uh, magenta, uh, aquamarine. There's so many colors you can get. And now they've got self-driving cars that are being developed. You know, one of the advantages of a self-driving car is if you get behind on the payments, it just drives itself back to the dealership. <laughs> so that's one thing to think about. Sirius XM radio has over 150 channels. Television channels and cable and satellite, 1,300 channels. 1,300 channels. And that's not including Netflix and Hulu and Disney+. Plus. We have two many choices. How can you have a cable station with 185 or 300 or 40 and say there's nothing to watch? That's why there's nothing to watch. There is not all maybe junk, but we have too many choices in our culture. And finally, the one that may give some of you may go, "Eh." Starbucks, when it first came out on its website, 
trying to make the splash for, you know, you can have every drink you can possibly imagine. You can individualize for yourself. It said on their website, when you consider our milk options, number of shots, various syrups, and the choices of whip or no whip, multiple sizes, hot or cold, we have up to 87,000 different combinations, all customizable to your individual needs. And believe me, I have stood behind people that are customizing the drink. And I just want to go, get out of line. You know, just, anyway. So, and then, of course, we come up with religion. All the different denominations. I have debates. Um, I, my, I, as a profession, I'm, I'm a Christian financial counselor or financial advisor. I do some counseling. Uh, Christian financial advisor. I work for the largest financial um, services company in the country. Uh, it's a Christian or the largest Christian financial services company called Thrive and Financial. And when I meet with people about their, their finances, we get to talk about the Lord and we get to talk about all those other types of, of things. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that, but I'll come back to it. But we, religions, oh, religion, it was founded by the Lutheran Church. And they could not understand when I was talking about the, the, the broader Christian market, all the different denominations. And they were asking me, well, what synod are you? I'm the Church of the Nazarene. Well, what synod are you? And, and all of the confusion, I, I, we have Catholic um, friends and relatives, and they don't understand why there's not just one big Protestant church. Why are there so many denominations, too many choices? There was a story of a, of a shipwrecked individual who was on a desert island for many, many, many years, and finally a ship came close enough to notice the island pulled up and he was rescued. He was so excited as, as the captain and the crew came on board. He said, before I leave, I want to show you around my island. So he took him up the air. There was three huts on the beach. And the first hut, he said, the first day, he said, this is where I live. The captain says, what's the second hut? He said, the second hut is where I go to church. He says, what's the third hut? He says, the third hut is where I used to go to church. We have too many options. But when it comes down to the Bible, the Bible is clear. There are only two choices. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he finally kind of closes out the Sermon on the Mount with this little sermonette that pinpoints the fact that there are only two choices. Matthew 7, 13 through 27. Let's go to the first, the first passage. Matthew 7, we'll go, with, we'll go to 15 to 20. As he talks about this, he says, watch out. Whoops, I went too far. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. My apologies. He starts out by saying, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. Well, first of all, our world is going to get upset because we claim that there is only one way. There's many ways to God. There's many saviors. There's many types of gods. And as Christians, we get accused of being exclusive. Well, you know what? We are because we claim that Jesus is the only way. But on the other hand, we're the most inclusive religion in the world because Jesus said, whoever, whosoever will can come to me. So when someone accuses us as Christians of saying, you know what, you're so, you know, you're so intolerant, you're so exclusive, you go, you know, that's not true. God's love through Jesus Christ is for everybody. 
You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to do some criteria. You don't have to check off a bunch of boxes. You can come to Jesus Christ as you are. And in that, we are different than every other religion in the world. We are the most inclusive belief, denomination, religion, whatever word you want to put on it. We are the most inclusive. Now, do we say we're exclusive because we claim that Jesus is the only way? Yes, and we should do it proudly. And we should do it confidently, not arrogantly, but we should do it confidently. The Bible says in Peter, you should always be ready to defend or to give a defense, an apologia, for the hope that is within you. But you do it with gentleness, but you do it unapologetically. You defend what you believe and not apologize. We should never apologize for being a Christian. The first road is narrow, and Jesus talks about the fact that it's narrow and it's difficult. I mean, Jesus himself said that if anybody in in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's not easy. It may have been easy to be a Christian in this country up until a few years as as things are starting. It's not being a Christian doesn't mean an easy life. I mean, Jesus promised right off the bat in this world, you're going to have trouble. You become a Christian. Everything just doesn't heal and doesn't get fixed overnight. So we don't want to talk about the fact that being a Christian means you have an easy life, but being a Christian has been relatively easy in our country until recently, when our culture now has got a target on the back of all believers. So Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to, first of all, you got to deny yourself. That goes counterculture to our me too, gratify ourself, put ourselves first message that we get. You've got to be willing to take up your cross. Take up your cross doesn't mean you're burdened. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm burdened to be a Christian. No, it means you be willing to die. The cross is an instrument of death. So he said, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up a cross. In other words, every day you need to, but none of us, I don't think, I, I, would, I apologize if you've served in, as a mission field in other countries where there, your, your life has been threatened, but most of us have not been threatened. Our lives have not been threatened for being a Christian. But Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, be willing to die, and then follow me. So being a Christian, there's a, the price is free, but there's a cost. And Jesus said, in his, he said, narrow is the road, narrow is the gate to find him. And yet broad is the path, broad is the road, broad is the path or the, the gate to destruction. In the next passage, 15 through 20, he talks about two kinds of fruit and two trees. Watch out for the false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, but by your fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. He definitely repeats it over and over again. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and thrown into the fire, thus by your fruit will you recognize them. True faith produces good fruit. As believers, we are to be producing the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is not individual. It's not fruits. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You can't say that, well, God's only given me you know, the kindness or the gentleness but he really doesn't ever give me the love or the self-control. 
You can't parse it out and can't say that they're fruits. They are fruit. It's a fruit of, of, of righteousness. Good fruit versus bad fruit. And as a believer, we are, are to live our lifestyle as a fruit that indicates that we are following, following Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And Galatians 5.22-23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no love. This is the fruit that God wants to produce in us. The other side of the coin is bad fruit or fruit of unrighteousness. Galatians talks about that just prior to the fruit of the Spirit. It says this is the fruit you know, of sin and it goes through um, a list of that. So once again, Christ is saying in this Sermon on the Mount, he's finishing up, he says, there's only two choices. And we, our culture would want us to believe that there's many choices and that it's all, it's all, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Don't let that become a statement that you don't at least challenge. Lovingly, you've got to put love in there, but at the same time we need to preach the fact that Jesus is the only way to salvation or we wind up making people feel good, but they're on their way to hell if they die. We need to understand the time is short and our evangelical juices should be starting to flow. Next one. Two eternity options. This is not popular. It's not. And see how who are you to judge? You know, people say, Who are you to judge? But he was talking in, in, in Matthew seven, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father and who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's tough in this day and age to preach sin and to preach an actual existence of a place called hell. But we need to make sure that that's part of our message. Yes, it's done with God's love and with Jesus' sacrifice. And we were just, we're just a month or so, a couple months past Easter where we celebrated the resurrection. What a great time. I mean, Christmas is fun. Well, sometimes Christmas is stressful. But Easter is the culmination. Jesus Christ, His shed blood, is what gives us the power and the, and the, the right, if you will, to become the sons of God. His shed blood. The Bible makes no bones about it. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And that's Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that that's part of our lifestyle, part of our message, part of our conversation. If we go to, this, to the final conclusion of, of this passage, then I've got several other comments to make. And that is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. You recognize the passage, probably, or at least the Sunday school song that went along with it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, and the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And we all grew up, those of us that were privileged and blessed to grow up in church, or in Sunday school, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came down. Everybody's like, people are doing it. Down. And all the rains came down and floods came up. And you go faster and faster. And I miss, I, I love the fact that we did several old hymns today. I shouldn't say old because they're classic. They're not old. They're not decrepit. They've got doctrine in them. And even as we were growing up, yes, also if you know me, you know I go off on tangents like crazy and I, I never find my way back. I may be ending up preaching on the parable of something and I don't even know how I got there. But Sunday school songs were, they were so full of doctrine and we didn't know it. One door and only one and yet its sides are two. You know, deep and wide. Deep and wide there's a fountain. Now, as kids, we didn't understand that that fountain was, there is a fountain filled with blood. And you're going, okay, we're not going to teach a second grader that one. But we're deep and wide, then you go, mmm, and mmm. All of those things we were teaching doctrine. And that's what I miss. You know, I love some of the contemporary praise and worship songs. I'm going off on another tangent. But I miss the songs that have the doctrine in it. We're raising up generations that don't hear doctrine out of our hymns and doctrine out of the word and what it means to become saved and to live a life of Christ and you know we got songs about dancing down by the river and dipping in the river and all in the river and I'm, and I'm just looking at the words and I'm going I don't understand this but a mighty fortress is our God absolutely what a friend we have in Jesus I understand there is a fountain filled with blood now maybe people get a little squeamish that don't understand him Think about it, drawn from the annual thing, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty state. You would read that and go, that's disgusting. But it's not. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we need to be, yes, I'm on a soapbox, and I apologize. Every pope until I do, I'm preaching this because we've got to get back to pure doctrine. We've got to get back to the message of salvation that Jesus Christ is the way and the answer to what's going on in the world. We can't be distracted by the flesh and blood that we see on the news every day. That's, that's the distraction that Satan is working his way behind the scenes in the spiritual battle. If we could put on, I teach a series, for those of you that have been in my science school class, um, I teach a series on the spirit world and I talk about the fact that if, we, if God would give us divine spirit glasses, and we were to put them on and could see the spirit world, we'd probably have a heart attack. Because you could see the demons and the angels and the battles going on. And that there's a demon resting on somebody's shoulder, discouraging them. They're here today, and they're discouraged. And they're fighting a battle. And another angel comes in and knocks that demon down, and right in the middle of the aisle, they're wrestling, they're struggling. You leave that child of God alone. We can't see that, but it's going on all the time. I'm not crying, you're crying. Um, I leaned over and told my wife that during the mother's video. I looked over and said, I'm not crying, you're crying. But we need to understand that because of the spiritual battle, there are things going on that we can't see that God is battling on our behalf. And we know He's already won the battle at the end, but we've got to persevere. We've 
you've got to stick to your program. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. Jesus concluded, and the conclusion for the last slide, uh, Jesus said, whoever is not for me is against me. He made it pretty clear. You can't have it both ways. You can't decide that I'm not going to do either one because Jesus said you're either for me or against me. You're standing out in the rain and someone says, stay out there in the rain or come in, but you have to make a choice. And if you fold your arms and go, I'm not going to make a choice, you made a choice. So there isn't a gray area, there isn't a line you can walk and a balance and go, I'm just going to wait and make my decision for or against Jesus. No, that's already been the decision. Joshua was clear. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God's word leaves no doubt, no gray area, that there's only one way. John 14:6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And John Acts 4.12, as I mentioned earlier, I got ahead of myself, but salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must or by which we can be saved. So I closed with, I kind of got a little redundant and hammered this home, but Jesus had concluded probably the greatest sermon in the world, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He concluded his sermon with those last eight, nine verses that said, folks, at the end of the day, there's only two choices. You're either with God through Jesus Christ for eternity or you're separated from God for eternity. There isn't any third, fourth, fifth, 1800th alternative. There's only two choices. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I know that as Christians we're being accused daily by being intolerant and unloving and, and divisive. And God, you, you called us to love others. And we are. We're, we're trying so hard and we need your Holy Spirit's strength. But at the end of the day, Lord, we're not called to hide and to cower and to apologize for what we believe. We need to stand up boldly. We need to be Peter with just maybe a little more tact. We need to stand up boldly for you, Father God, and say, this is what I believe and this is why I believe and I'm not ashamed. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. God, give us strength, give us protection as our culture and our society and our world becomes more and more um, hostile, more and more hateful, more accusatory towards those that believe in the Bible, for those that believe in Jesus Christ. We pray for our kids and our grandkids. Our culture is going after them full bore. The last year and a half has just been so devastating to families and to children and to teens and to emotional and to mental health. The only healing, Father God, can come from you. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for Pastor Sid and Julie. We just love them so much. We thank you for their ministry here and their leadership here. And I know them personally as friends. And I just thank you, God. We pray again that they are enjoying the time with their family and, and that, that we, they will, re, as Dean mentioned, they will come back renewed and refreshed. We just pray that you will give them journey mercies. Bless this church family, Lord, as they minister to the Longmont community. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and we look forward to his return. 
Amen.